Hello, I'm Ben Dark, and this is Dear Gardener, the plant podcast with the global approach. This week, we join Gavin, a professional gardener working, by the sounds of it, largely on the banks of the beautiful River Stour. It's a conversation with a very unique and lovely man, and I suspect that if enough people listen to it, horticulture's recruitment problem would be entirely solved. I have not heard a better advert for our profession in a very long time. Gavin is joined by lovely Melanie in Santa Cruz, a gardener at the start of a very grand adventure, putting together a ragtag team, in her own words, to create a garden of mystery and magic. She's got some wonderful features that I'd never considered possible, let alone heard of. And we meet Vanina down in my old stumping grounds. Lovely, eccentric, slug-filled, bramble-hedged southeast London. She invites us to a space that has drawn bits and plants and pieces from Paris, Umbria and beyond. Before we start, I must thank Anna, Andy, Vance and Mary for supporting the Dear Gardener podcast on Ko-Fi. This project is one of the most interesting things I've done in my fairly checkered horticultural career. But it does take time, and each of those little little contributions felt like a vote in favour of the podcast's survival. So thank you very much for that. We are recording today in mid-November, and all of the conversations you're about to hear were laid down over the previous week. Perhaps because of the conversations, which have been quite rose-focused, I've spent the last few days wandering around looking at the optimistic blooms. There's lots of pink polyanthers around us in the various estates and municipal schemes, and it's interesting to see which way they're going. Some of them have gambled for another flush of June flower. Some of them have retreated into themselves and said, no, I'm, it's time for yellow leaves and a bit of well-earned rest. In my garden, the cherry tomatoes continue soldiering on, beneficiaries of this freakish warm weather, bathing us in air, if not skies, from the azures. They're still in flower, vigorous flower, the tomatoes. I actually need to get out there when I finish talking to you and literally nip them in the bud, because I want the energy for the fruit, which are still on the vine and still incrementally ripening. It's hard to see it day to day. You'd need octopus level of colour vision, but there is some ripening. So all saved from the chutney jar for another week or so. Anyway, let's turn octopus eyes and ears to the dear gardeners. Take it away, Vanina, Gavin and Melanie. I hope to the sunlight, I hope to the sunlight. Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. Their own gardening. Take my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage. Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonian nursery, yes. Hello. Hello, Ben. It's so good to see you. It's great to see you too. Hello. Hello, Nina, great to see you. Very good to see you. Very pleased to be doing this. 
Hello, Melanie, can you hear me? There you are. Hello. I'm really good. Thank you so much for giving up precious weekend time. No, I feel very honoured being part of it. So, <laughs> Well, you'll be the first person in your position as a sort of maintenance, which I think is going to be quite interesting for, for listeners. Not that I suspect you're the typical maintenance gardener. <laughs> no, I've done, all, I've done all sorts of my clients, including life modelling. But um, yeah, for one of them, yeah. <laughs> well, how okay. did that happen? <laughs> well, she's an artist and she used to run art classes. And um, one day, it was about 29 years ago, she came out and asked me if I'd be the life model. So I did, I think I had about four sessions. And how many artists were present? There were about eight. Wow. <laughs> so there's some ridiculous amount of pictures of young you floating around in yeah and loads of stories that go around all those years later there are lots of well-known stories so <laughs> i've got two at home um and nearly all of the art class have become friends of ours it's all very strange so <laughs> i should start by saying i've been reading your book and i'm really enjoying it <laughs> have you i'm so pleased because you're you're down by where it's set aren't you do you know yeah, the street exactly uh, I don't actually, uh, but funny enough, I bought it from Ride Books off of Lordship Lane. Yeah. Uh, and the man there told me, oh, yes, I know Ben. <laughs> I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> it's a very small world. They're lovely in there. They're so nice yeah. in Ride Books. I did yeah. a little uh, sitting in the shop session with them. Mm. Their customers are gorgeous. He's gorgeous. The dog's gorgeous. They're really, really nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a really giant dog, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I remember seeing him. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And like, it, it kind of, even though I don't know the street itself, it's kind of very characteristic of, I think, South East London generally. Uh, so lots of things I recognise. Where exactly in South East London are you? Uh, I'm in Broccoli. I like this room. This is a small music studio for one of my children. She assured me that this room has the best acoustics in the house. How are you coping? Your kids are all at college now, is that right? Well, you know, I have three dogs to keep me busy, so that is nice. But I miss them. They're going to come home in a couple of weeks for Thanksgiving, which will be really nice. Oh, good. And you have a, a very big garden project to keep you busy as well. Very large project to keep me very distracted, yes. What stage are you at now? At the moment, nothing is happening in the yard exactly. Our um, plans with the landscape architect and our plants person and our tree guy, we're still finalizing and we're getting ready to submit our plans to the city. You know, what plants are going where, what sizes they are, and all of that, because California really cares about how much water you use. So, so much horticultural discourse is people, um, professional gardeners complaining about their clients and clients complaining about their gardeners, generally just due to misunderstandings on, on both sides. But I think it's so nice that you, from what I can tell, tell a completely different story of collaboration and friendship. Oh, definitely. All of mine have become friends. They're like a big family, really. And one of them, her grandson is now our godson, and they're just wonderful. So they're all getting older now, all of my clients, so I end up doing much, much more than gardening. How long have you been with them? Uh, about 30 years. So, uh, yeah, a long, long time. 
So uh, yeah. Wow. You got your clients 30 years ago and just, just mm-hmm. stuck with them. Yeah. Literally, it's a chain that started 30 years ago with one big house. And then that led on from friends of theirs to friends of theirs. And all of these people know each other socially. And it's just gone from there. I would never have guessed at 21 years old that I would be with these same people for 30 years. I'm very much a transplant as a Londoner, but yeah, I've lived here longer than I have anywhere else. So, <laughs> well, tell me briefly about how you came here. Uh, well, I'm Italian originally. My dad is actually German, but I grew up in Italy. I was in Rome until I was about 10. And then after that, we lived in Paris until I was 18. I moved away when I was 18 and came to London to go to uni. was here for three years, then went off for a year to work for an NGO in Indonesia, weirdly, and then came back to the UK, to Oxford to do a master's and then ended up back in London in 2011, I want to say. And I've been here ever since. Wow. In terms of gardens, Paris, Rome, London and Oxford. And then I should say, so in the undercurrent to all of this is that my parents until last year had a house on the border of Umbria and Tuscany. That was kind of the family home and has always been there. They bought it in 1972, so long before I was born. Um, and you know what? I, it's interesting. I had a conversation with my mum very recently about it because I didn't really know when she started. And I was quite surprised to find out that she didn't actually start gardening properly until she was in kind of her early 40s. So she had me when she was 39. And so I'd already had the house for quite a while. So I saw her do lots of planning and adding bits to it from when I was really teeny tiny, which... It's quite something. So yeah, she definitely added quite a few sections to it over the years during my life. What was it like by the end? If you think Umbria Garden, you think sloping hot. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much sloping because the house is on top of a hill, the most remote house on the hill, probably. It's on one side of the valley, so it has beautiful kind of borrowed landscape on the other side but it just had loads of sections so the one bit they flattened out first was the one in front of the house but then she started adding other terraced bits around it both at the back and the front it was pretty massive by the end <laughs> I should say I spent my childhood with my mum bringing plants back from various parts of the world I remember more than one trip where I'd be in the car sat next to a tree I think we actually traveled on a train with a tree once I discovered gardening at 16 so I'm not somebody who has always loved gardening and suddenly at 16 I just took over part of my parents garden and it just went from there and so at 17 I became a professional gardener working full-time one big house in Tendring which is a village not far from here in a four-acre garden And it was a really beautiful formal garden designed in the 1930s. And the old head gardener had worked there all of that time. He was called Bob Barker, but always known as Barker by the family. It was this old fashioned thing of calling people by their surname. So I worked there for a few years and then I decided to leave and become self-employed. And that's where I just collected my clients. 31 years ago it's just grown from there just took on mostly quite large gardens with a big house and gardens that would keep me going through the winter 
I normally spend one day a week, maybe one day a fortnight, and um, that's enough to keep me going 40 hours a week. All of them have become such a wonderful big family to me. I've seen grandchildren grow up helping me in the garden and now they're sort of married and all sorts. That's amazing. That's a real, that's a real mm. advert for the gardener's role. Very much not the, the Barker model. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I'm very much not that. So I have six clients altogether. Four of them I've been with for about 30 years. Two of them are more recent. And those, both of those cook me lunch, often a three-course lunch with wine. I've had to tell them not to cook so much because I'm sleepy. And one of them has offered me her drawing room sofa to have a snooze in the afternoon if I wanted it. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I'm quite spoiled. You certainly are. Yeah. That sounds absolutely fantastic. A couple of glasses of red and then out on the tripod ladder with the head shimmer. <laughs> so it's a half an acre that I did half of my time growing up on this piece of property. It's very near the water and very near a river in the Monterey Bay area. It was first developed in 1880. So it's a really old house for America. <laughs> and so things are constantly falling apart. Is anything left of this 140-year-old garden? Or has it all been swept away and replanted? The remnants that seem like they've been there, uh, I can't verify you know, how old they are exactly, but they've been there a long time. So there's a box elder tree, which is kind of uncommon for California. And there's a very old wisteria that is gorgeous, so beautiful and smells lovely. And we thought we lost it a year ago. It just like kaput, like nothing. It gave us no leaves, no blooms, nothing. And we're like, oh, because <laughs> I, I really love that thing. And I designed like a wisteria arch and a tunnel and all this stuff. And then it, my mom's like, yeah, I think the wisteria died. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a backbone. Um, but it has come back. It refuses to let go. Well done, that wisteria. And is it the same plant? It's not come from below the root graft and sent you a completely different rootstock plant. It is, it is the same bloom and the same fragrance? I don't know. So there's just shoots coming off the bottom now. So what does that mean? You want to explain that to me, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> well, what might have happened is that the graft might have failed. So everything that was put on by the nursery to be the attractive bloom and fragrance bit has died, which would explain why the whole thing went at once. And what now remains is the vigorous rootstock that the nursery had in the ground to send all of the energy to that more ornamental part. So what you might end up with is more of a thuggish, slightly plainer <laughs> plant over your new wisteria arches so keep keep an eye on it it'd be interesting to see sure that will be really interesting um i kind of assumed it was like before they did stuff like that because it, it's so old the trunk is very thick wisteria is funny it makes itself ancient looking so quickly i've been tricked fairly frequently by wisteria from the 70s and the 60s that i thought Oh my goodness. Well, this is, this is ancient, ancient. I remember there was one in the old garden at Fulham Palace, the old Bishop's garden from their derelict herb garden. And I was writing about it saying it must be hundreds of years old, a remnant, a survivor, 
but then someone contacted me and said, no, 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 I think I, I think I remember planting that. They just get gnarled. They have that capacity to just sort of styrate and twist around themselves and knot and bulge. So it might not be as old as you think. It's probably as old as at least the 70s, maybe 50s, but it is one piece that we were going to save in the box elder we'll save. But the rest of the trees, they're volunteer plums, you know, planted by birds. And so they're in weird places. And I won't say who, but someone I'm related to really likes to chop branches off. And so they're not there that pretty. So those are going to go and get replaced. Three of my gardens are actually on the River Stour, which is on the Essex-Suffolk border. Um, two of them are on the banks of the Stour. One of them is a little bit higher up with amazing views. And they're wonderful. They're not so wonderful in the winter. In the winter, you get really biting easterly winds coming down the river. One of them is a, a new barn conversion with quite a modern garden. One is a very traditional. Actually, the other two are quite traditional. But I'm always digging up plants and rejuvenating, putting my own, my own touch on it, really. I'm known for my pruning, so I'm actually a very severe pruner. I do get away with it, but I've had clients in tears in the past. The severe pruning, is that through mm -hmm. inclination, aesthetics, or observation? Mostly observation. And it's, I've only lost about two plants in 30-odd years. Not bad going. I don't like things that are too congested. And There are certain groups of plants, so I've removed most conifers from the gardens. I love evergreens, but I love like yew and box and also things to give structure. Conifers are just messy and... Um, all sorts. I'll probably get lots of hate mail now, but sorry about that. <laughs> what was the plant that made your, your client cry? Oh gosh, I can't remember. It was a long, long time ago. I know it was a Banksia rose that was growing right up to the top of the house. And I said, if I prune it, I promise you it will grow within a few weeks. It'll start to shoot. That was a nervous couple of weeks, I imagine, for yes. everyone. <laughs> Do you find your sentimentally attached to the gardens do you find yourself worrying when you're lying in bed at night in the high winds about different bits of different gardens yes i do and we had a horrendous storm in february and i phoned them all afterwards two or three of them i managed to quickly go and see but i phoned them all just to make sure because there were particular trees and greenhouses and all sorts of things i was worried about but i worry about the clients as well so it's sort of so when we go on a holiday, I, I, I do worry that they hope they're all okay and um, coping without me and that sort of thing. So. <laughs> Were you growing ornamentals or was it a productive? Yes. Yeah, no, um, I have to say, I think we tried to do a vegetable garden one summer, uh, but it didn't really get anywhere. Uh, so, yeah completely ornamental um we had lots of fruit trees i definitely ate a lot of persimmon i remember when i was a child and we used to go in spring we used to get lots of cherries lots of cherry trees um and plums and definitely figs lots and lots of figs <laughs> my own garden is very small the back garden is about 70 by 30 feet but it is crammed full of plants so we've got I think about 70 containers. I've got about 60 different roses. I've got hundreds and hundreds of plants. It's a very formal design, but the planting is very informal. So actually, Sissinghurst is my favourite garden in the whole world. 
And when I visited Sissinghurst for the first time, I realised that's my style. So I've got lots of urns and statues and all sorts of things. I really, really love gardens that have secrets. So I've got lots of paths that you go down and then you come across like a little pond or I've got all sorts of things hidden away. People walk around it and uh, even though it's small, you can spend a good half an hour walking around it. You pass the NGS open garden. Oh, I would, but I haven't, I have opened it, but not through NGS. I think the first time we opened, we had about 300 people come through. It was quite a lot, but um, yeah. I love it. I love, um, I love talking. You know, to meet fellow gardeners is just the best thing in the world. That's glorious. Um, I'll just explain for the listeners who might not know the NGS test. They require mm. you to have, is it 20 minutes of interest? I think in it's garden? longer. Is it? I'm feeling it's, I might be wrong. I have a feeling it's about half an hour. Okay, half an hour yeah, of interest so. to the mm. respectable NGS judges. You will pass that with flying yes, colours. But I think I probably would, but... Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for the NGS. So. <laughs> I think you, I think you would be. I think you probably would be. When you when you open your gardens, people come around. What do they What do they talk to you about? What is the thing that they come up and? Well, and actually, most most years when we've opened, it's been rose season, so I get loads of questions about the roses. Luckily, I know all the names, so I can just talk endlessly about them. Yeah, they just want to know the history of it and how it how it came about and I've just had a new greenhouse built so this time last year my greenhouse was completed and it is like my dream dream greenhouse it was designed for me it has a shed attached so you walk through the greenhouse into the shed and then there's a little wood burning stove in there so um, people want to know you know the, the background of my greenhouse and then I'm very 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 into composting I mean in a in a huge way every thing in my garden either goes through the shredder and then into the compost or straight in and then everything then goes back onto the ground for mulch yeah I can bore them to death about that as well so yeah. <laughs> so my stepdad bought the property in the mid-70s and so my mom and I moved there when they got married you know he passed away and my mom still lives there and in order for my mom to stay my husband and I uh, helped her out by buying the house from her and we knew that we would just eventually want to retire there so um, those years are coming up. Is your mother still gardening? She is. We built her some big raised beds a couple years ago and that helped a lot. She loves to grow vegetables and stuff Every year she's like, oh, I'm not going to do very much. I'm just going to plant some peas and some tomatoes. And then you go out there and there's like beans and peppers and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Radishes, because she knows I like those. So yeah, she's still out there. She loves her garden. And that's probably why she's lived to 90 years old. I think that's wonderful. I also think it's wonderful that she's growing things that she knows that you like. She grows strawberries and she's always saves the strawberries for my husband because he's kind of like the golden child, even though she didn't give birth to him. <laughs> and so no one gets strawberries except to him. <laughs> I can see why he agreed to move in then. But the house, the house stays and yeah, the garden gets a major. The garden major makeover um, which is super exciting we should be able to start in the early spring we'll build an ABU which for anyone that doesn't know that acronym in the United States it means accessory dwelling unit so like an extra house on your property 
because we're building that in the location it is like it's used to be our old driveway our parking pad um we have to build some really big retaining walls but that's exciting because that means i actually created a little more garden space than we have had in the past will you be able to grow against the retaining wall does it have sun yeah it will have sun and i'm thinking i saw a lot of beautiful espaliered pears in england this summer i'm thinking i'm thinking pears peaches yeah, I know. I have a tree list of like productive trees that I'd love to plant and it's quite long. I don't think I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get all of those. Working down from number 1. What do you have to have in the new garden? Okay. So, what I really really want, the top of my list would be Rio Star grapefruits, which is the ruby red grapefruit. They grow best in Texas and in Florida, so I probably can't do super well with that kind of tree, with that citrus, but we're gonna plant some in pots under some like dark shale chips or something and try and create enough heat. So that, that's the thing I love the most. I think my mum, every time that she sees my garden, she always says, everything goes so well here, um, which is true. <laughs> I think much easier climate to grow things in. So all of the houses around here are in the conservation area, so they all have really big gardens, and we have half. The house is split into flats, so we have the half closer to the house because we're the ground floor flat. So it's actually a really decent size for London because it's about 15 metres by five, but there was nothing here. There was no fence, brambles, nothing else, <laughs> pretty much. So it was quite daunting at the beginning. A lot of the plants, actually, a lot of the early plants, funnily enough, were from my mum. My parents lived in Paris. So when I came to London, they were still there. They lived there for another 10 years. And my mum had the most incredible window boxes, absolutely full to the brim. And so when they moved away from that flat, my poor husband rented a van. We went to Paris. We picked up furniture and all sorts of things. But we also picked up all of the window boxes. So a lot of the plants in my beds are actually things from the Paris window boxes that have done actually incredibly well. <laughs> so it worked out very well. I love that. And I love that little connection. When I think of Parisian window boxes, I just think of pelagoniums. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mum had all sorts. I mean, not quite trees, but things that have in the meantime grown almost to be trees. I've got three camellias, which were, I think, little camellias that she had in window boxes, which I transplanted and have actually done really well. So, you know. Was that the first intervention you made in the garden? driving back with that van full of stuff or did you I suppose you must have wandered out with your machetes when you first caught <laughs> yeah, the place I did oh, I think we got someone to come and help to clear all of the brambles out which is when we discovered that there were various bits of concrete that somebody had poured at some point there was actually a, a base for a shed as well which was actually very sweet somebody had written in it in the concrete dad's shed clearly somebody who lived here before did have a shed there and did the pouring himself so that was quite sweet it's going to be impossible i know i can already tell your answer is going to be i, I can't choose <laughs> but let's talk about the roses which are your oh, favorite roses. oh munstered wood one of the david austin english roses that grows beautifully I love the formation, the scent of it. Pearl door, which is a little China rose. There's another one called Cecil Bruna, so that's another China rose. And they just flower for months and months on end. 
totally caddened with diseases. They're those sweet, tiny little flowers. I love those. Madame Alfred Perrier, but it's a bit of a thug. You have to prune and prune throughout the summer. It just sends out these huge shoots everywhere. I grow it because of Sissinghurst, because of Rita and Harold planting one there. I think 1930-31, which that one sadly died, but um, I sort of grow it just for the the Sissinghurst connection, really. At the moment, you're working in quite an interesting way with quite an interesting group of people. Are you referring to my ragtag group of people who are enabling my vision? (laughs) That's exactly who I'm referring to. Uh, Yes, I am. Luckily, I found these people through various connections. So there's Ryan, who is an arborist and very skilled and the voice of reason in the group. You know, he has important questions like, you know, I think that canopy is going to be too large or you won't be able to walk under it or things like that, that we really need to, instead of just having dreamland. And then there's Allie, who is the plants person who's helping me gather and kind of fill in because of course I know what I like but I won't be able to fill all the property in with just my plant list and then there's Katie who is the landscape architect who draws the whole plan up and everything and she's very knowledgeable we talk endlessly about (laughs) cool things we've seen or plants that we love there's been a lot of cramming and I have to say Again, I keep making references to my poor husband. Whenever we go anywhere, there's always a nursery involved somewhere. There's nothing I love more than a little independent nursery. And then I always end up picking up something and thinking, do I know where this is going to go? Not really, but I'll work it out. (laughs) We went to visit my in-laws last weekend there in Bristol. And I did stop at a pottery, so I did buy some pots. (laughs) But I should say I also have lots of big pots, which again... Uh, from my mum so I when my parents left the house in Italy that being in Umbria they had hundreds of terracotta pots that they bought over the years oh you make me jealous yeah I organized for about 20 of them to come here including some pretty big ones so that's the kind of bulk of the pots and then probably a hundred little ones here and there um and they've definitely all been filled, very much filled. And what a display with a hundred. Are you almost making a, a terraced sort of... That's kind of what I'm trying to do, but I don't think I've quite got the hang of it. I'm imagining the, the Dixter porch kind of look with all... Oh yeah, I would love that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I think that's what I'm aiming for. But again, the planning has probably fallen a little bit by the wayside. But yeah, I'm definitely trying to do a bit of layering of things and... You know, it's kind of trying to find that balance also between layering and making sure that the really big, beautiful ones are visible. (laughs) And I did have actually one of the last big job I did in the garden. I had a patio put in a proper terrace with stone, which is now very full. (laughs) I saw some pictures. I was looking at some pictures from when he was first put in. It was last Christmas, actually, when he was empty. I'm like, oh, that's quite big. That's not filled that big anymore. It's really overfilled. I'm running, taking a tour to Sissinghurst next May for the Art Society in Colchester. So that's another new thing for me. Wow. So I can share my Sissinghurst knowledge as well. Do you have to be accredited as a guide by Sissinghurst? No. If you lecture for the Art Society, you have to be accredited. For this, it seems I don't have to be. 
I think there are about 30 people coming. What, and what are you going to focus on, on the history and what the area is meant to have? Yes, Vita, or? How, it, how it's evolved, the history, the planting, and uh, just my 15 years of knowledge. I think I've been going there for 15 years. We're going in May, so the roses will just be coming into flower. So talk about the roses. Just talk about my favourite parts. I mean, the white garden in May is just incredible. And Delos, the new garden, I think it's just stunning. I think it's a huge success. They're going to be very, very fortunate, those 30. Well, I hope so. I've read so many books about it and just been there so many times. So um, they're, yeah. going to have, they're going to have to kick you out at closing time. You're yeah. going to <laughs> just one more thing. Oh. <laughs> we had a wonderful, wonderful evening there two years ago. A friend, very, very kind friend, bought us tickets to go to an evening event. Sarah Raven and Juliet Nicholson spoke about the garden and the history and then we had the whole garden to ourselves and then a delicious supper as well. So that was very, very special. And what time of year was that? This was June. And it was... Oh. When you go to Sissinger's, and the, the White Garden particularly, I, I love it. I, yeah. I, I do love the greatest hits. But one of the overwhelming senses is I want to be here in the evening on my yes. own as, yes. as the fragrances are coming out and yeah. the light is starting to fall. And you yeah. got to experience that. We really did. We didn't see a barn owl because that was always Vita's dream. I was giving a talk at the, where was I? Was at the Seven Oaks Literary Festival a month mm -hmm. or so ago. Mm -hmm. And the person moderating asked the question, if you could click your fingers and be transported to any natural place in the world right now, where would you go? And my answer was, well, I'd have to change time and place and go to the White Garden on an early summer evening as it was getting dark on my own. And then, And there you go. You had it. <laughs> my next dream would be to stay in the priest's house in the in the white garden so to wake up and just have that wonderful garden to yourself would be uh, yeah that's that's the next dream so <laughs> i was doing an online gardening course and so i had to make like a vision board kind of thing for this course and so i decided to bring it um for the first meeting, but I felt kind of silly, like, okay, I didn't make this for our meeting. <laughs> this was an assignment, I had to do it, but here's, here's my brain. And so they looked at that vision board and they were like, yes, this is awesome. So what was on there? There was a couple dove coats, you know, round brick dove coat, beautiful structures. There's, there was a couple pictures of rills because rills exist in England, but they don't really they aren't a thing here. I made a list of my top five magical garden elements. And so the, the rill is on there. And the dovecote is one of them. What else is on there? And then, well, my children used to have, we had this tree in our backyard that was a beautiful cypress tree that was planted a hundred years ago. And then they also put a hose bib near the tree to water it or do whatever they were doing in that part of the yard. And the tree eventually just grew all the way around the hose bib. So it really looked like the water was coming out of the tree. All you could see was the spout and the handle to turn it on. When we moved into that house, my daughter was only one years old. So we just called it the water tree. And so they grew up playing with this water tree and they loved it. They'd hook their bucket onto it, turn it on. And then they walk around and water whatever they were doing and stuff. So a water tree is another magical element. So I want to recreate that. I love that idea. I've never heard of that. And creating one intentionally will be so fun. I figure 
probably should be able to do it with like, you know, that new PEX tubing that you can use for water that won't kill the line or break the line. There's kind of like a little dell area. It's a little lower than everything else. And that's where the fairy garden thing is going to happen. So we're going to have some really magical elements down there for little kids. Because when I first experienced gardens that were really lush, I saw like a foxglove and I thought, what on earth? I've never seen a flower like this before. This thing is magic with these dots leading the bee into the flower. So there'll be some gunnera down there, some foxglove, hopefully the water tree, and then a little um, like fairy door. Do you know, do you know about the fairy door movement? <laughs> oh, um, how glorious. Yeah, I, I love little kids. I taught preschool and I just think it's really fun to encourage that kind of belief in magic. I just love dahlias and actually they did pretty well this year. And I should say all of my dahlias are in pots because I don't know whether this is just me or Southeast London generally, but it is slug central. And I have found planting dahlias in the ground is just impossible. It is Southeast London, I think. In Broccoli, I guess you're on the same soil as we were on these Dulwich, which yeah, is quite a thick, heavy soil. Yeah. Um, Although I think somebody at some point who lived here must have improved it. I do have gardeners who come and help once a month. And they said quite early on they were surprised by the fact that actually the soil is quite easy to work. So I reckon somebody at some point must have done something. Dad yeah. came out of his shed to scatter some mulch around. I, I'm pretty sure one of the neighbours mentioned that he was, I think he grew veg, dad. Dad in question, I worked out who it was. So it wasn't the previous owner, but two owners before. So I think he must have done quite a bit um, okay. to improve it. But even so, I mean, even on a sandy soil in London, because effectively what a London garden is, is just a series of hedges with little spaces between them. And slugs love yeah. living under hedges and they just come yeah, yeah, sliding out. True. And there's no part of a typical London garden that isn't within easy slug distance of a of a good hedge. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. That's a good way of putting it. I've made peace with snails and snugs at this point. I, I can't bear the thought of squishing them and going around hunting them down. I'm just like, you know what? You have as much a right to be here as I do. <laughs> However annoyed I am by it. <laughs> The one thing that are even in pots is impossible, I find, to keep is hostas. You know, when you see all of those beautiful pictures of gardens which have whole shady corners or just 14 different types of hostas, I don't think I'm ever going to achieve that. <laughs> I think I've given up on that dream. <laughs> you've been going to the for 15 years. Yes. But you've been a professional gardener for, for 30 plus. So you came, yes, to it, you came to it as a professional gardener already. There must have been... An amazing experience yeah it was I mean I'd known of it since I started gardening but just hadn't got around to going there and then we arrived and I just fell in love with it straight away we always always go straight up the tower and so you get a bird's eye view of the whole garden I think we spent four hours the first visit just walking around and discovering there was just so much to see I love the layout of it all the vistas I mean Vita always gets the credit, but I think Harold was also a genius. Some of them are double vistas. You've got a statue in one position that you can see when you come through the tower. 
but you could also see it in another point of the garden. He doesn't get as much credit as um, as he should, really. I quite I quite uh, agree. I do wish that he'd yeah. stayed away from political biography just for one year and written one yes. gardening book. <laughs> just <Yeah>. one. <laughs> and there we go. He's such, such a brilliant writer as well. Um, I mean, Peter Vita is a leaker of her own, but he's wonderful in his letters and in political stuff. It would have been so nice to have his book on on layout and hedge. Missed opportunity. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And your your garden then, prior to your discovery of Sissinghurst, your garden was different, I imagine. Less hedges, less rooms. Less... No, that was the strange thing. I realised as soon as I visited Sissinghurst, I realised that's what I'd been doing in my own garden, but just on a tiny, tiny scale. It was just extraordinary. Oh, yeah, there's also a hole in the hedge. We didn't talk about that. Like a Moongate style hole. Yeah, like that. The only time I had seen it was at this garden in Canada called Bouchard. It's an amazing garden that was made in an old quarry. It's on Vancouver Island. So they have their own little dock and a little tiny beach. And so the hedge tells you this is the boundary of the garden, but you can look through this hole and see their dock and their sailboat. It's just was so magical going through this garden and just being so amazed and then looking beyond and seeing this really magical view. So I need one of those. But you also need to compose the view on the other side. What are we going to be looking at? Something fake. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think the hedge that I'm talking about is going to look into the neighbor's yard. So we'll maybe put a mirror so someone can just look at themselves. In terms of my other favourite plants, I realise that euphorbias are my thing. I just love them. I probably have 20 different ones in the garden. Yeah, I just love them. What types are you growing? All sorts. I've got a, quite a big mellifera, which started out as a single stem and is now probably a metre by a metre, if not more. Actually, funny enough, the single stem, that was a present from my mum. And I planted it. It was in a bit of lawn at the beginning. It's now in a bed. And it broke really early on. And I was like complete panic uh, so I sellotaped it together <laughs> and that seemed to work because it's now massive the sellotape yeah. graft you've discovered a yeah. new technique who knew and mellifera is a good choice as well because you eventually will get a proper plant that you can almost crown lift and get other things underneath yeah so I did that last year I was thinking about it so it was very much in shrubby form and actually what we ended up doing was cutting a lot of the branches at the bottom so it's now starting to lift up which is really nice but then also when I got my mum's pots one of the things I put in there it is I think related to mellifera a euphorbia from the canaries I want to say or maybe the azores but it's a single stem and it'll be more of the tree form which I'm quite excited by it's called Euphorbia stigiana sancta maria it's in this really tall thin pot so I think it'll look super interesting once once it grows Euphorbia stigiana sancta maria I've never heard of it but it sounds glorious I know quite pleased with that the garden you designed for your your friend is that a garden of hedges and rooms no it is um it's got some rooms it hasn't got hedges i used as an edging i used old beautiful victorian slates and then brick edging in front of that running up to the lawn and then we've got picket fencing as well uh, sort of american style picket fencing so i've divided it but i'm still planning extra things we've had 
great, great, great fun doing it. I think my friend is keen for me to just carry on the way it's going and I'm just keep adding and adding. So wonderful. What have you put in? Mm. What, 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 what are the plantings? Lots of roses because actually um, her soil is, is actually quite heavy as well. So we're aiming to cover all the fences in roses and, and climbers. We've put a really big pergola with a swing seat under it with wisteria. Lots of perennials. I'm trying to get perennials that flower throughout the summer. So Osteospermum, Giron, Gower, all the verbenas. And we've got a little sort of mini vegetable garden potager. So it's got cut flowers and a few vegetables and things. It has got a composting area. So that's another sort of separate area. So I can't have a garden without a composting area. So <laughs> it's just wonderful. And um, we just have more and more plans. And we've just planted um, an arbutus tree. I found the best specimen. It's about seven feet tall. Really lovely specimen. So that's going to grow into hopefully a beautiful tree. My friend has just been to Italy. She saw loads of them in Italy. So she decided she wanted one. And by chance, I would had a nursery and I found one. So, uh, yeah. They're the most beautiful tree. I, I love them. Did you go to the old garden museum before they did the Dan Pearson build over the courtyard? Yes, a long time ago. They had like a little parterre, didn't they? They did. Designed by Molly Salisbury. That's and... right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, when I was first starting out, I did uh, an apprenticeship there. And I used mm -hmm. to, in the very old traditional ways, sort of have to hold the umbrella over her as she went round. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had supper with her about, oh gosh, five, six years ago. A friend of ours knew her very well. Molly was our friend's godmother. And so we had supper there and it was just wonderful. Uh, to me, it was, I, I've no, I, unfortunately, I didn't meet the Queen, but for me, that was pretty near. Real old school. And I asked her so many questions. She was just fantastic. Wonderful. But unfortunately, her, her planting has all gone now, hasn't it? It's, um, I think that it's all been redesigned. Has it? No. I think so. I think the planting now is different to the planting that she... Uh, at the Garden Museum? Put, yes, yes. Yeah, oh yes. yeah, the Garden Museum yeah, completely, yeah, 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 completely, yeah. completely gone yes. now. I know, Hatfield House, I'm sure. I was going to say, so, like, oh, yeah. I, did you watch yeah. the... Uh, watching that film, the Olivia mm. Coleman one, and seeing Hatfield flashing past in the background, I loved it. Yes. <laughs> seeing all those wisteria over the stables. And anyway, it's, um, it's glorious. But anyway, what I was yeah. going to say is when it was still her garden, the Garden Museum, they yes. missed the most beautiful arbutus there. Huge, oh. great full tree size thing in the shelter of the, the wall of Lambeth Palace and when when you when it really the trunk becomes the star I've never seen so many people just admire a trunk I have a client who has a mature one but it just I sort of raised the canopy on it a lot so you could see that trunk and I wished I'd taken the before and after photo just to see that trunk is just beautiful what's the timeline from now on when does groundbreaking begin? We're hoping groundbreaking can start in the early spring. Me, when I hear retaining walls are in, I'm like, yes, okay, we've changed now. New garden has commenced. Will you hit the spring planting season for your trees or is that going to be delayed uh, till autumn? Yeah, probably till autumn. We'll probably just have to delay a little bit on that, which is kind of a bummer, but you know, you can't. You can't push construction projects, I've learned. They just happen when they happen. 
but it's hard. Like I want to move the dahlias and I want to get more space, but you know, nothing's going to be ready for next dahlia season either. So I just got it. Sitting in your office, making more and more mood boards is not going to be the same. as. (laughs) It's totally not the same. I went to a dahlia show and saw some amazing, amazing blooms and came back with this huge list and I'm, I haven't even gone to the catalogs yet or the websites to see where I can get what. Cause I'm like, I'm just, I know I'll just buy way too much. I'm just like, just wait, just wait, just wait, but we'll see. I might not be able to wait. Oh no, I think, I didn't think you should. I think you should start. <laughs> but uh, I'm not the person to take advice from about this. It sounds like we should talk again when, when things are underway. Yeah. If I have some news, maybe some funny stories mishaps you will have mishaps if you're building a garden you will i think it sounds like you're going to make something truly magnificent truly magical well thank you i hope so that's the goal if i feel like i've achieved that then you can come over and you can check it out i will do when i'm passing california on my next tour i'll come and say the water tree i've never seen one before yeah the water tree is pretty magical i hope i can make that happen because that was a hard thing to leave at our old house. It was so cool. I'd love to see it. Do the do the what are you doing to your fences that you put in? Are the things grow? Yes, I'm very much trying to do that. There's a couple of clematis, uh, a montana that is absolutely huge. It's done so well. We have a wisteria right at the bottom in completely the wrong spot <laughs> because it's in shade. <laughs> And it's taken probably six years and it only flowered for the first time. So took its time. <laughs> I think at some point it's probably going to bring the fence down. <laughs> but I'll think about that when it happens. I have a climbing rose, which has done so, so. I find roses very difficult, actually. I'm not, I find them quite hard to grow. Um, I have three in the garden, of which two don't do so well, and only one has done really well, not the climbing one. What else do I have? Uh, an Akibia, Kinata, is that how it's pronounced? Yes, uh, which is huge. And I have a grapevine with dark red leaves, which is really nice. That sounds like my kind of planting. And then I've got a vi- I can't remember whether it's a Boston or a Virginia, and I know that I'm meant to look at how many add the leaves and count how many fingers they've got so one or the other but it's done really great I love it but it's literally reached the roof of the house so I now need to work out how to chop it down a little bit (laughs) that's one of my favorite things to grow I mean I particularly like Boston Ivy I don't know why I prefer it to Virginia Creeper I think because that's the that's the trilobed one and it just looks a little bit more sort of brontosaurus footprint to me fat fat whereas the virginia creeper is the um, the five lobed one which is a bit more spidery in leaf probably more elegant maybe I've, that's what i've got no i'm a sucker for very blunt obvious in your face leaves my favorite climber is the vitis cognetiae which is that crimson glory vine the grapevine with the leaves that big that have no subtlety whatsoever so yes I know actually that was in your book wasn't it that was what Vita Sackville West suggested growing through privet wasn't it is that right that is right it comes back in later in the book as well but yes but that's yes the sign of someone who really doesn't like privet is that they recommend growing vitis cognetii through it and you think god you want this plant dead yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed that chapter, actually, because there, there were, there's only two, three plants 
that I've kept, which were here already, and actually they're all in the front garden, which I look after. Really nice, very old-fashioned peony with the big, massive red, you know, like deep red flowers. There's a some kind of wild rose with really good rose hips, and there's a privet hedge. And actually, I quite like it. I don't mind it. Kevin, I've I've taken I've taken my allotted time, so no, I that's I fine. Probably should. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you got enough enough material there? Definitely, that was wonderful. No, well, fantastic. It's so nice to meet you through this, anyway. Brilliant, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ben. Okay, take care. Bye 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 bye. So we enjoyed that. It's going to come across very well. So thank you for that. That's all right. No, no really it was great. Know. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. No problem. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. I'm going to let you get on, but thank you so much for talking to me. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot. I didn't get interrupted by my crew. The dogs didn't come in. <laughs> but that's a pity. We haven't had any dogs guesting yet on the, on the podcast. Oh, I swear to God, they're like little kids. As soon as you pick up the phone, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Oh, actually, we did have dogs in episode one. We did have, we had dogs down with Vicky in South Africa. But I welcome more dogs. I welcome more dogs <laughs> next time. Yeah, I loved listening to that. That was really great. I was just like transported. Can you imagine the animals coming down and like coming into your garden? And It sounded so, so wonderful. Like, oh my God, that is so cool. I know. I, I'm looking forward to talking to to talking to Vicky again, I think I'll try when when everyone over here, particularly in Denmark and London, is miserably suffering through February. We'll try and get her on to talk about the blazing sun and all of the uh, the animals at her watering holes. Yeah, that would be really great. And my yard is going to be not fun wildlife at all. You can talk about your squirrel fight. My mom's constantly fighting with the squirrels, and I'm like, what's the point? Like, squirrels are squirrels. But when it comes to tulip bulbs, that's a different thing. No, some things are worth fighting for. Quite right. Okay, I'm going to say bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye-bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Gardener. A wonderful bunch of people, but then so many people in this world are. If you would like to join Anna, Andy, Vance and Mary in supporting the show, there are links in the episode description or you can go to ko-fi, that's K-O-F-I dot com slash Ben Dark. You can also post about the show on social media and many, many thanks to those of you who have done so. Also in the episode description, you'll find some info about Bouchard's Garden on Vancouver Island with their sailboat Moonhedge and about some of Gavin's favourite roses and about the euphorbia that Vinina is going to use to show off her Umbrian terracotta, the lucky thing. Do say hello to me on Instagram at ben underscore dark underscore and on Twitter at Ben's Garden. And I'll be back next week with tales from another group of gardeners. Until then, thank you so, so much for listening. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Goodbye from Ben. Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decided to do their own gardening. Their own gardening.
Take my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage. Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonian nursery, yes?